We have nurses doing work in a whole host of areas that we never even imagined nursing would make a contribution. So understanding all those different places where nursing is stepping in, leading, working, making change, those are the places where we need to hear from those nurses, what are you doing? And um, be able to be able to understand all the places where nurses and nursing is making a difference. It's huge. How do we critically examine the many complex issues facing the nursing profession and the healthcare industry, and then leverage nursing associations to influence people and bring about change? Let's talk all about it with Cheryl Peterson, Vice President for Nursing Programs at the American Nurses Association, right here on episode 392 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, that is a great way to do me a solid and help other people realize that the Nurse Keith Show is there. So if you want to do that for me, that would be super awesome. You can head over to nursekeith.com to find the show notes for this episode in the drop down menu that's labeled podcasts. And like I said, we're here with Cheryl Peterson, Vice President for Nursing Programs at the American Nurses Association. And Cheryl, you were here with us on another episode, actually quite recently, when we were talking about the Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. And that was a great episode with six of you on two different episodes on a little series. And you've been around the block for a while. (laughs) And the first question I want to ask relates to what I said at the very top. What is it about all of these complex issues that makes us need to leverage national associations so that we can kind of get people involved and wake people up to what's going on around them? Yeah, thanks so much, Keith, and it's a pleasure to be back on your show. And really, I think um, I have been around the block, and I've been with the American Nurses Association for many years. And through my time here at ANA, what I've learned is what's the value of an association in helping to convene, to bring people together, to bring thought leaders together, to bring organizations together, individuals to tap different sources of information, and to be a source of information. And it's really critical that we have associations like the ANA and the other specialty nursing organizations and other healthcare organizations so that we can come together around common areas of interest to help advance uh, policy, advance the profession. And we always do everything with our patients, families, communities, really at the heart of what we're trying to do to make the changes, to have things be better for people. So really, in the end, that's what we're here for. We're here to convene, to amplify, to bring people together and organizations together to make this world a better place. Well said. And I think the Commission to Address Racism in Nursing is the most recent example of that that I can come up with because we just had these amazing conversations on the show just a couple months ago. And here we have multiple organizations. The ANA is, you know, the lead, but lots of organizations involved. And then Mm -hmm. those organizations bringing information and hopefully feelings and experiences from their rank and file, you know, into that bigger conversation. So in the context of the commission, let's just say, Mm -hmm. what do you feel like is, is some of the best outcomes that we can see when we're, when we're really addressing something that's that big, you know, because it can seem way too big for people to even wrap their heads around. 
Yeah, boy, and and that is the the whole issue of racism in nursing is is really it's complex. It's challenging for people to talk about. So what I see from bringing different voices into the room around the commission and the organizations to the table, one is there's a richness of thought. You know, I could have developed a a definition of racism or A&A could have done it on its own. But really, it was so... It it took a bigger voice. It took more voices at the table, more thoughts into what it means to really talk about spirit murder, which is part of what we have in our definition of racism. And um, I think the value is the number of voices and avoiding the echo chamber and really getting outside of yourself. So what, what are the advantages? One, the more voices you have at the table, the more ways you have to amplify and get it out to nurses beyond the walls of just ANA or the organizations that are a part of what we're doing. I think, two, we're inviting others in through our education opportunities. So we're helping them to get the language that they need to be able to go out and have their own conversations with their colleagues and colleagues of color to understand what's going on. I think we have done an amazing job of really raising the awareness of that we have a problem here in nursing and it's called racism and we have work to do. So that's what is the value of bringing people together, listening with all of our hearts and minds and really rolling up our sleeves and working together. And it's not that we're going to really end racism in nursing. It'll probably always be there, but it's really going to be called out. It's going to be visible and we're gonna do all we can to st- to to put an end to it to the extent that we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And what about um, a boots on the ground nurse out there in the world somewhere who says, you know, well, the ANA is doing this, and these other organizations are involved, so there's nothing really that I need to do because I'm just a nurse, like you know that four letter word that we hear. I'm or I'm only yeah. a nurse. When you hear that kind of message from someone, from an individual, what's your response? Yeah, you know, um, just like anything, our strength comes in our numbers. Our strength comes in having many voices using the same message or a similar message. We need every voice because your experience is yours and your experience helps to inform what we do what we need to do in order to change policy or make a better policy. And yes, ANA is going to be here doing this work and we do it on behalf of you as a nurse, on behalf of the profession, but we are better served when we have um, a lot of experiences in the room. We have different folks writing letters to members of Congress, reaching out to media, sending letters to the editor, doing those pieces of advocacy that help to bring home what is the value of nursing in our communities and in our nation. And so we we do need every voice. We need every different experience. And the depth and breadth of nursing is such that We have nurses doing work in a whole host of areas that we never even imagined nursing would make a contribution. So understanding all those different places where nursing is stepping in, leading, working, making change, those are the places where we need to hear from those nurses, what are you doing? And um, be able to be able to understand all the places where nurses and nursing is making a difference. It's huge. It is. And so when do you respond the same way when you hear a nurse say, I'm just a nurse, or I'm only a nurse, and they feel very small in the scheme of things? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I hope that um, I hope that what we can say when somebody says, I'm just a nurse, even if you're not involved in uh, ANA or you're not involved in something bigger, 
Mm-hmm. You, but you go to work every day, you do the best you can, you give solid care to your patients or wherever in the place in which you work. That makes you more than just anything mm-hmm. because that's what this world needs is more nurses who care. And so nobody is ever just a nurse or only a nurse. Mm-hmm. Every day when you go to work, you're making a difference, you're making a contribution always to somebody's life somewhere. So I just reject out of hand the notion that anybody is just anything. Me too. And I've even read, I I mean, I've done podcasts and written about, you know, how that's a four-letter word and we just can't use it anymore. Either of those two words. Let me just add to that. Nobody's ever also an ex-nurse, you know, or even a former nurse. Everybody is a nurse. You're a nurse to your neighbor. You're a nurse to your, in your church or what, whatever is your affiliation. You're a nurse when you meet somebody in the, the grocery store and they say to you, oh my gosh. And so we're always, nurses and we always have a contribution to make Mm -hmm. even if you're retired and you come across someone who's fallen on the sidewalk your nursing mind and the way in which you were trained to respond Mm -hmm. to a circumstance your situational awareness kicks in and you can't really erase that and a few minutes ago you mentioned the media and you mentioned members of Congress, you mentioned those two things. And the first thing that came to mind for me was that book, From Silence to Voice, What Nurses Know and Need to Communicate to the Public by Suzanne Gordon and Mm -hmm. Bernice Beresh. Mm -hmm. I think I have the second edition of that book. I'm not sure. It's on my bookshelf over here. Um, That book I felt was really groundbreaking at the time. It meant a lot to me when I first encountered it. And I had Suzanne Gordon on the show, oh gosh, a long time ago, or it might've been my other podcast years ago, I can't remember, but we talked about this and I love to talk about this notion of advocacy mm-hmm. and we don't, yeah, we don't need to be a member of an organization. You don't have to join the ANA in order to write your member of Congress or meet with your state representative or meet with the mayor of the city where you live or speak in front of the city council or something. And there's plenty of things we can communicate to a member of Congress. There's plenty of things we can say to the media. And obviously our voices matter. And I think the pandemic has has amplified that, to borrow a word you used a few minutes ago as well. So what does it mean for a nurse when they decide like, hmm, I really need to talk to the mayor about this, or I want to meet with my state rep. What really is the potential ripple effect when one person, one nurse decides that I'm going to request a meeting with the mayor? What can come of that? Yeah, boy, so powerful. So powerful. One of the first things we have to remember is there's a lot of weird notions out there about who and what nurses are. And many of them are um, uh, what folks may discern from maybe a TV show that they saw. And so I think one of the greatest benefits when we say, I'm going to speak to my mayor, I'm going to speak to a member of Congress, is that we can take a few minutes to just talk about who and what we are and what we do and ground them in the realities of nursing and the the value that we bring. And they don't understand us. They may say, oh, my aunt was a nurse or my mother was a nurse. But reality is, is they don't really know what you're doing. So first and foremost, you use it as an opportunity to educate them about who and what nursing is all about. So I think that's one of the most valuable pieces. You might even invite them to come and shadow you for a day while you're at work or for at least a little while to let them see what is the day of a of the a day in the life of a nurse. Um, and then when you raise an issue with them, it may not be that the first time you raise the question or you you put forward a proposal or an idea that they're going to immediately change or they're going to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to do it. 
but it opens the door. It opens the door for more conversation because now they know who you are. And now they say, gosh, I remember I had this conversation with Cheryl Peterson. She brought up this issue. She's a nurse. Maybe she can help us. And they may reach back to you. And then you're really in relationship and conversation with somebody and with somebody who has the opportunity and the ability to make change in a real way. So it's about the relationship. It's about opening the door. It's about educating them about who you are as a nurse and the work that you do. And each one of those things are extraordinarily powerful. And I can go one step farther. You know, people think politics is a, is a bad word. Nurses in particular sometimes have a real issue with getting involved in politics or, you know, a political campaign. But that's another really important opportunity. If you've got a candidate who you really like, who you think has the ability to make change, go and um, volunteer for their campaign or say, listen, Mr. Candidate or Ms. Candidate, let me bring to pull together a group of nurses so that we can come and talk to you about health issues. Uh, let me do a fundraiser for you and I'll bring nurses together and we'll raise the money for you, for your, that is also building a relationship and incredibly important because if they win and then they get into Congress or wherever they're running at the state level or in your local city council, they'll remember and they'll say, oh, let me contact Cheryl Peterson because she brought the nurses together and I have an issue about healthcare. I want to hear what the nurses have to say. That's a good point. And what we like to teach people, nurses and nursing students here in New Mexico through the New Mexico Nurses Association, which is part of the ANA, what we like to teach them when we did our, do our capital challenge during legislative sessions here is that, you know, when a state representative or member of the Senate or whatever here in New Mexico is faced with some issues around the Nurse Practice Act mm -hmm. and some other organization, like maybe a physician organization, or there's something going on, or a sonographer's organization are saying, you know, nurses shouldn't be able to do this, mm -hmm. or nurses shouldn't be able to do that. And there's something on the chopping block when it comes to the Nurse Practice Act that maybe that state rep might know something about healthcare, or maybe one of the state reps in that coalition is a doctor, possibly, mm -hmm. or a nurse, but generally they might be a rancher, a business mm -hmm. owner, something like that. And they only know what we can educate them about because yeah. they don't know what the Nurse Practice Act should really say. And if a sonographer is, oh, says, oh, it's really dangerous for a nurse to perform an ultrasound, they'll be like, oh my gosh, yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's this notion of education. And I often will say, you know, if you write a letter to the editor, if that's what how you like to get involved and you don't want to join an organization, you don't want to go to meetings, but you have something to say and you write a letter to the editor, you know, if that impacts 50 people or 25 people and it changes their mind or educates them about something, that has an impact. So there's, there, there are layers upon, at mm -hmm. which we can choose to get involved. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like what you're saying, having been a nurse since 1985, congratulations, and having been with the ANA since I believe 1990, you've seen this at the local, state, federal level. Mm -hmm. So you've been witness to a lot. And what's an example of something you've witnessed where it comes to either the ANA or another organization or group of nurses who have really moved the needle on something. Do you yeah. have one that kind of comes to mind for you? Yeah, well, uh, actually, I, I would just like to kind of, um, when I graduated from nursing school, I moved up to Cleveland and was working in the Cleveland Clinic. And I actually became a member of the Ohio Nurses Association and the Greater Cleveland Nurses Association. This is when we had districts. And I said, I wanna get involved in legislation. Well, the person who was the head of the Greater Cleveland Nurses Association said, look, Cheryl, 
We need somebody to present testimony before the Cleveland City Council around, and this will tell you how old I am, smoking in public spaces. Ooh, yeah. And so we, I had the opportunity to go to in front of the city council, provide testimony, new graduate nurse, green as green could be, um, to sit down and say, we need to change this policy. We need change in the space around smoking in public spaces. And they ended up voting to... Um, say that you could no longer smoke in public spaces uh, in after not because of my testimony I was a part of many folks who were out there advocating but it was a positive experience for me as a new graduate and it it reflected on uh, what we can do when we all come together and advocate for real change uh, so to me that's a big issue that I think is very powerful um, I do think also nursing has come together and we've made some real strides in issues of um, the Nurse Practice Acts, both at the state and the federal level. Uh, we continue to do work around needle sticks, passed mm -hmm. a good bill around needle sticks. Of course, 10 years hence, since the passage of the needle stick bill, we're still working to kind of get, make sure that it's fully implemented and we're doing the, the data collection that we need to do. But that was a huge win for nursing and for healthcare as we were one of the principal groups that were saying, look, we can't be having needle sticks. We mm -hmm. come out of HIV AIDS. It was time to stop with bloodborne pathogens. We needed to stop this huge change in the industry, change for nursing, and really has resulted in saving, I think, healthcare provider lives. Mm. Well said. And when you were talking about uh, speaking in front of the city council about smoking in public spaces, I remember the 80s. <laughs> so... You were a new nurse, but that didn't matter to them. And I'm sure you didn't make a big deal about it. Like, no. I'm a new nurse. I don't know anything. I think what they heard is that you were a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I think respect was probably born of the fact that that was your title. Don't you think that that absolutely. was really what they saw and heard? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we should never, ever us underestimate what it means when we stand and say, I'm a nurse. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think. It is powerful. It's powerful when we write a letter that says, I'm a nurse. And we really need to own that um, and be real clear about, I'm a nurse. I have expertise. I have clinical knowledge. I have scientific knowledge. I have knowledge about who we are as holistic individuals. And we should be able to stand on that without reservation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's great. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about your storied career, because I think you've had a really fascinating career. And then there are a couple other issues, timely issues that I think every nurse likely cares about and a lot of citizens care about. And then a couple other things that I think are worth running by you in the course of our conversation. So does that sound good for the second half of the show? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you, Cheryl. Thank you to everyone for being here with us. Please stay tuned for the second half of episode 392. We are here with Cheryl Peterson, Vice President for Nursing Programs at the American Nurses Association. We will be right back. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend, Cheryl Peterson, Vice President for Nursing Programs at the American Nurses Association. And Cheryl, before the break, we were talking about how you spoke before the city council as a brand new nurse, talking about smoking cessation in public spaces and how, you know, maybe single-handedly you didn't change the, move the needle on that particular topic, but you know, when you testify, you testify. And that information is part of the the larger conversation going on. And I'm sure it had an impact. And speaking of impact, I just want to talk about your career. So you became a nurse in 1985 and you've worked for the ANA since 1990. So it's been 
a long time now, over 30 years. You've been responsible for guiding the ANA's Department of Nursing Practice and Work Environment, the Center for Ethics and Human Rights, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, Minority Fellowship Program, Healthy Nurse, Healthy Nation. I mean, you've you've done a lot and you've been the principal liaison for the ANA to the International Council of Nurses. And you've also been deployed during wartime and you've served on legislative staff for members of Congress. So how do you view all of these different aspects of your career? Do they all hold together as part of a a unified whole? Yeah. You know, I am am really blessed that I found the opportunity to work at the American Nurses Association. And you're exactly right. There's a lot of it that holds together. I came to ANA after being on Capitol Hill for two years, where I worked as a fellow and a legislative assistant for two members of Congress, helped me to understand how how a bill becomes a law. How do you advocate? How do you work with a member of Congress? What does that kind of process and system look like? And then when I came to ANA, um, my role was really about getting nurses involved in campaigns. You heard me talk about that earlier. I think it's so important that if you find a candidate that you like, that you think is really going to make a difference, that you engage with that candidate and you volunteer and you get involved and you get your colleagues involved. And so I was really fortunate to travel all around the United States during the 1990 campaign to really kind of do phone banking and other things where nurses were engaged with their candidates and with members of Congress, really having a presence in a campaign, which was just a huge amount of fun and um, really made a difference where we were building relationships. It was during that time when I was actually deployed during Desert Storm and Shield and spent some time over in Saudi Arabia working in a POW camp. And uh, again, another really important experience as we look at um, we're me human beings and understanding uh, while I was working in the POW camp, what my, uh, what the other human beings that were Iraqis, what, what were they experiencing? What did that look like? And my colleagues who were with me, who really developed a strong camaraderie to know that we were doing some important work as we cared for both Iraqis and U.S. soldiers at the same time. So it was really meaningful for me. And when I came home from that experience, um, I was started to be engaged actually in the Vietnam Women's Memorial. And all of a sudden, there was conversation about creating a a women's memorial that was attached to the Vietnam Wall. And all of those pieces and my ability to, and my willingness and desire actually, to be a part of those discussions with our nursing colleagues who had been deployed during Vietnam to help them be, um, to help advance their cause of getting a statue and some kind of recognition for their contributions during Vietnam. Their experience at war was very different than my experience. And yet I had at least a little taste of what it was to be a part of the military. And I really appreciated their candor and their drive to get the Vietnam Women's Memorial um, pull together. Another experience that I had was uh, being able to engage in the presidential campaign. And then I moved into lobbying. So it all kind of flowed one to the other. I started in a political part. I moved into some lobbying where I was focused on workforce issues for nursing. So this is nursing shortage, nurse staffing, occupational safety and health, uh, unions, childcare, all of these issues that um, really needed a voice of nursing to help advance not only the, the issues and the concerns of nurses, but the concerns of, in particular, women who were experiencing many of these issues because of the number of women, of course, who were nurses. So there was a lot of, of crosswalking of issues between that and the women's community at the same time. So it was really a great time to be a part of 
that movement. Um, and, you know, Congress did what Congress does, and sometimes they did the right thing, and sometimes they didn't. But um, it was always important that our voice was heard and our voice was there. Yeah. And this is why I find your career fascinating is because, you know, having served in the military and worked in a POW camp, which I think is a very interesting thing to have witnessed, right? As a nurse and as a citizen, as a human being, and also having served in the halls of Congress to see, I mean, that's where war is declared, right? So, I mean, that's, or not, as the case may be. Or not, as the case may be, if it's declared unilaterally, right? So it, you've been privy to a lot of very fascinating aspects of American life. And you've been behind the scenes of war, and you've been behind the scenes of legislation and advocacy. And now you're behind the scenes of the Commission to Address Racism in Nursing, where actually you're involved in it, not just behind the scenes. And you're very much steeped in the ANA and you've been involved there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So all these issues, you know, we've talked about racism already and mm-hmm. we talked about smoking in the 1980s, but we have a lot of other issues facing nursing and let's just say the American culture and society as a whole, and also the global community. Mm-hmm. So here at home, we could look at staffing. Staffing seems to never go away yeah. as an issue that we need to keep talking about. And workplace violence never mm-hmm. seems to go away. Mm-hmm. And I was just writing an article recently for one of the websites I write for that nurses experience more workplace violence than all other industries combined and also injuries on the job injuries more than construction workers because they have more protections and then if we want to pull the camera back to the global we can say climate change and there's a mm-hmm. lot of nurses involved in climate and there's the association of nurses for a healthy environment the ANHE so there are nurses who are you know, clamoring pretty loud about these yeah. issues. Yeah. So when we look at the bigger, bigger pieces, like the three I just mentioned, workplace violence, staffing, climate change, where do you want to put your stake in the ground? Like, are all of those as meaningful for you as each other? Or are there several that are kind of, you know, closer to your heart that you've put more energy and time into? Yeah. So we've already talked about the racism work, but let me just say for me, for me as a staff person at the American Nurses Association and the opportunity to raise that topic is probably the most meaningful work I think I have done Mm -hmm. uh, as a staff person at ANA. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to, to work Uh, and to try and address that issue. That being said, I think about nurse staffing, which is the greatest pain point that we have at this point in the profession. When we think about what nurses are saying is really their pain point. We know that having sufficient resources to do their job in their units or wherever they are is the number one challenge. And the cascade from not having sufficient resources to the mental and physical health, to the moral distress, to all of the downstream impacts that not having sufficient resources is really, um, to me, we have got to solve this problem. And when I say solve, I think the realities is that nurse staffing will always be talking about nurse staffing, Mm -hmm. but it will evolve based on what happens with the next step, right? Um, So I do think that we'll we'll make a change, we'll make an improvement, and then we're going to see some either positive outcomes, some unintended consequences, and we'll have to just keep tweaking and dealing. But we've got to get some immediate relief into nurses right now. So to me, 
partnering with organizations, strengthening ANA's voice in this area of nurse staffing is number one. But I would also say, and this is my work with the ICN and the incredible work that ICN is now doing. That's the International Council the inter- of Nurses. Sorry, yes, the International Council of Nurses. Thank you for that. Um, the reality is, is our global uh, brothers and sisters are also feeling the same issue. Hmm. And we have to do better about learning from each other. ANA needs to learn from other opportunities globally, and we need to help to uh, put into the room, that global room, uh, solutions and ideas that can be uplifted in other groups. So I do think nurse staffing is our number one issue. I think an issue you didn't mention, but I'd like to put on the table, is around the issues of ethics. Hmm. ANA is the steward of the code of ethics for nurses in the U.S. We um, we update it every ten years, and uh, but it is a document that a lot of nurses are not fully aware of, and I think this is part of what contributes to some of the moral and ethical distress that we see coming out of uh, coming out of COVID. It predated COVID, and I think there's some real work that we need to do uh, as a profession and as ANA as the steward of the code to help nurses embrace the code of ethics, to help them understand how it underpins and supports the practice that they are engaged in. Um, So I think that to me is a really critical piece of work that we need to do. Workplace violence, it just should stop. And and we just have to get OSHA and we need to get our our uh, the industry to figure out how to stop it. This should not take more than somebody saying we're done. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the way it works, but uh, it just needs to stop. It does. And under workplace violence, we could have some subheadings like bullying, incivility, yeah. aberrant oh, behavior, yeah. Yeah. all of that, that my friend, Dr. Renee Thompson over at the Healthy Workforce Institute works so hard to eradicate. Mm. You know, there, there's so many permutations of yeah. what we could say about that. Oh and, gosh, yeah. and I do think the pandemic has thrown into relief a lot of these different pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. look at, I mean, in, in Congress, they were talking about the cost of travelers because there was such a nursing shortage. Now, should Congress have to weigh in on whether they agree traveling nurses should be paid however they're paying? I don't really feel that that's appropriate. They don't talk about what doctors make or what, you know, anyone else is paid or what members of Congress are paid, um, just for example. (laughs) But it, it was part of the national conversation and has been. And I think the distress that's out there is palpable. People call me and write me every single day of the week, mm-hmm. pretty much. So I know the distress is real. Yeah. And I think you know more, probably more than I do, because the ANA has access to a lot of data. You have really hard data about a lot of this yeah. stuff. So for a nurse, again, we're talking about you know that nurse out there who is a boots on the ground staff nurse or whatever he or she does, what would be some of your top recommendations for actions that someone can take if they want to contribute in some particular fashion that would work for them? What's something they can do? Yeah. Wow. So uh, there's a lot going through my mind. I I just want to comment on the whole bullying thing. Really, uh, we have got to just stop it. We have yeah, got, we really have to figure out how to treat each other better and remember that we're all human beings walking this earth. We all make errors and we mm. all are just trying to do the best that we can. And and I just we just really have to figure that piece out. Um so when I think about what boots on the ground nurses need to do, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, One is to take care of yourself. 
put boundaries and barrier boundaries around nursing and around work life. We have never been really good at work life balance, and we really have to get good at work life balance. And we need employ our employers to understand what it means to be really good about work life balance, which means better nurse staffing so that we aren't having to work overtime, we don't have mandatory overtime. Our nurses, when they're off, they're off. And when they're working, they're working. And when they're done with their shift, they're done with their shift and they go home and they have a life. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to nurses is strive to achieve work-life balance. Get out of nursing a little bit and go and do something else. The other thing that I think we need to, and I've just been spending a lot of time thinking about allyship, right? How do I be an ally? How can I be an ally to my colleague? How do I be an advocate or an ally for my patient? And um, I think we have to continue. Nurses need to build that skill set to be an ally on behalf of their colleagues and then be willing to have somebody be an ally for them. So we have to be willing to accept um, the help that is offered to us from colleagues. Don't just sit in the world by yourself, but open yourself up to being in relationship with a colleague or somebody who's wanting to help. I also would just suggest that be okay with who you are and where you are. There's a lot of pressure to go back to school, get your PhD, get a DMP, move to a new job, do this, do that. Sometimes it's really okay to be comfortable with where you're at. If you want to strive, drive, uh, be a lifelong learner, understood, but be okay with where you are in this world and you're making a contribution and be good with that. And I hope that you'll think about how you can help to support the profession, right? You have nurses and you have the profession of nursing. It's a very delicate thing. I won't say it's as fragile as democracy is these days, but it needs all of us to tend to it and care for it as who we are as a profession. And so be mindful of that and think about how you might be able to strengthen the profession of nursing. Yeah. And that could look like joining the ANA or one of the mm -hmm. state organizations that are, aren't part of the ANA. It could mean joining a specialty organization Absolutely. like the Academy of Medical Surgical Nurses or, mm -hmm. you know, whoever it is, wherever your tribe happens to be, yeah. and whoever they are, you know, find your tribe. Yeah. And if your tribe happens to be a small group of nurses from your city who get together and talk and support each other, so be it. That maybe, so be it. maybe that's the type of association you need to be part of. Yeah. And if you really want to get involved and you want to be on the government relations committee for your state nursing association, awesome, right? I've done that. Yeah. But everyone has to find their place and not everybody can be a superstar and not everybody wants to be out in front speaking in public or whatever. And mm -hmm. not everyone can be a podcaster or blogger. You know, it's not, we all have our different capacities. Right. So I always encourage people to find their place, just like you're saying. And I think that's your message is find yeah. your place. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. making a contribution. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate the contributions you've made. I mean, being at the ANA for so long, being part of the commission to address racism in nursing, which I think has only just gotten started. I mean, mm -hmm. your first report has come out, but I think mm -hmm. there's going to be a whole lot more coming over the over these next few years, especially if not longer. And I appreciate too that you have this legislative experience in Congress and you have that deployment to Iraq mm -hmm. or Saudi Arabia that you talked about mm -hmm. during Operation Desert Storm. And so you've, you've had a really fascinating career trajectory. And I like to hold people like you up as examples to nurses who are listening as like, see, so Cheryl's carved herself this really fascinating career. And 
you know, you don't have to be working in the hospital to be an effective nurse. And that's something I also like to communicate mm-hmm. to people. And there are lots of great nurses who work in the hospital from the first day to the day they retire. And that's awesome. And there's people like you and me who find, you know, just different pathways. So I, I just want to appreciate that about you and everything that you've done and all the contributions you've made. And and I really appreciate you being here. It's really great to have you here for a second time. And there are four questions I ask all my guests, which we didn't get to during the Commission to Address Racism sessions because there were too many of us. But are you up for answering four quick questions that aren't Absolutely. really directly related to what we were just talking about? Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. So the first one is, how do you define success personally and or professionally? Yeah. Uh, how do I define success? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, is success if if I just move the needle even a little bit, mm-hmm. if I can just move things just a little and it's recognized that we've moved the needle just a little. I'm okay with that. Uh, I think that uh, we all move in incremental steps. So for me, success is an incremental step forward that's leading towards a better outcome. I like that one. Okay. And the second question is, could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life. They can be living or dead. They can be Mm -hmm. famous or someone that none of us have ever heard of. Ah, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to put down, uh, I'm going to say for that to be Michael Curry. Uh, He is the, um, Episcopal Bishop for the United States. He's a Black man who I have now heard speak a couple of times, and he is freaking amazing. Hmm. And when I hear him speak, um, I just feel like we can do anything. Hmm. And I have appreciated, he's been the Bishop for the Episcopal Church here in the U.S. for a number of years, and he is awesome. Just mm. awesome. So it's odd choice, but he's just awesome. No, I like that. I heard an interview on another podcast over the summer with the the Archbishop of Canterbury yeah. in England, yes. and he's a cool guy. Yes, so sometimes faith leaders just kind of have it going on, and and yeah. they can speak to us. So thanks. I, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. So the third question is: Is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite that's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. Oh boy, that's harder. And it doesn't have to be a favorite, just something that comes to mind. Like, yeah, that one really, like, that one moved the needle for me. Yeah. Oh, that's much harder. Um, hmm because I can't get beyond what the, my most recent reading, which has all been around racism and Isabel Wilkerson's book on caste, mm. which I think um, for me was a major eye-opener um, as she described uh, racism in the U.S. from the perspective of it being a caste system. And that was, it called into question so much of what I had learned about history in the U.S. and how um, it had been, the only way I can describe it is whitewashed, but it's Mm -hmm. really, so I, I, I think for me, that is still a book that I am struggling with and I'm still kind of noodling over and I still think speaks to me in a way that's forcing me to think differently and open my eyes to the fact that some of what I have learned was probably wrong, was assuredly wrong. Yeah. Elizabeth Wilkerson and her book on caste. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, some people feel that class is really one of the things we just don't talk about enough right. in the United States. So thanks. I'm going to put that on 
on one of my many, many voluminous lists of books yeah. to look at. Okay. So my last question is, what's one piece of advice you would give 18-year-old Cheryl at this yeah. point in time, whether you think she would listen or not? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and this may contradict something I said earlier, mm -hmm. but I would have said to my 18-year-old Cheryl, um, I did write, I knew nursing was my path. And originally I was going to go to a, uh, I knew nursing was my path and that is the right path for me. Um, I wish I had gone back to school earlier than I did hmm. so that I would have gotten, I, I would have valued getting an, a, a doctoral degree and I just didn't make it that far. And I'm not prepared to do that now because I value work-life balance, but I think I would have said to myself, keep driving if you can keep moving forward on the education. But uh, the other piece is just to be open, open 18 year old Cheryl, be open to what the world brings to you and um, walk through the open doors that you can. Hmm. Well, thank you, Cheryl. And I really appreciate you being here for a second time. And I can't thank you enough for all the work you've done and for being my new friend and colleague out there doing good work in the world. All right. Thank you so much, Keith. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to be oh, with you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this great episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be over at nursekeith.com or on any app that you use. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from these messages from Cheryl. And if you need upliftment and personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, get in touch with me at nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by poet and writer David White. One of the keys to any possible happiness in work must be the little self-knowledge it takes to know what we desire in life, how we are made, and how we belong to the rest of the world. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my friend Cheryl Peterson saying arrivederci from Silver Spring, Maryland. Silver Spring, Maryland. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.